There we go, you should be recording. Right. As James would say, this is really going to affect the Kylie. There we go, I think I've got away with it. Okay, good morning. Everyone's still basking that sunshine, it was quite quiet, but I'll, I'll still go with that. Okay, uh, a couple of things have really changed in my life uh, since I was last up here speaking to you all. And those who will listen on SoundCloud, as we now do, and uh, the podcast on iTunes, you are welcome for those that can hear me, not in this room. Uh, one of the things is that I'm no longer an assistant team leader at work. The buck stops with me as I'm now team leader to a group of 13 young people in Sittenbourne. I've not stopped talking this week, uh, encouraging them to get out of their comfort zones, making calls to organisations to try and organise a community project. So do forgive me if I switch from preaching mode to team leader mode, uh, making sure that you're paying attention. And also making sure that there's no one sneakily looking on their phones, because that has happened a lot this week. Sometimes it's even me, so I should just put that on tape. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Of course, uh, I'm only kidding, but this week has been pretty full on. So I'm just kind of explaining where I've come from this week. Having said that, though, uh, I really enjoyed uh, wrestling with this passage um, of Scripture. Not really... I've not really studied uh, 1 Peter uh, before, uh, so I've enjoyed just feasting on the commentaries. Sam gave me a big pile of books. Uh, commentaries, the book that we've kind of based the series on, and of course, God's Word itself, looking through uh, 1 Peter and the passage that I've got to read. So, it says in Hebrews that the Word of God is living and active. So you may be like me and learning all the time as we've gone through this Exile series. So I pray that this morning uh, would really activate something in your hearts of what Peter is telling, telling us. So the passage I'm looking at today is 1 Peter 2 verses 4 to 12, quite a big chunk. Uh, so if you'd like to get your Bibles out and you can follow me as I read it on my lovely bit of paper in front of me. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, 
which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay, so first, uh, a question. I'd like to ask, for whose fame are you living? Over the last few decades, and probably long before then, and still to this very day, there have been so many reality, reality TV programmes. I'm just going to name a few. We've got Big Brother, we've got MasterChef, we've got X Factor, Great British Bake Off, Britain's Got Talent, The Voice, Pop Idol, Geordie Shore even, The Only Way is Essex, and the worst one in my mind, Lizzie will not like me for saying this, Made in Chelsea. I could go on. All shows that attract millions of viewers. Millions of viewers who just watch their every move. You know, the contestants or the stars in inverted commas. Their every move and development. I myself have to admit that last summer I actually applied to go on The Voice. Uh, I couldn't make my audition because I had a presentation to do. Um, But yeah, these shows look for those who want perhaps fame and fortune with the hope of future wealth and happiness. So fame promises great things. What more could you ask for from appearing in such shows? A fleeting record deal, a brief appearance in EastEnders. You may even wish for a spot on another TV show off the back of your perceived success, such as I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. But just like any other human being, if you look beneath the surface, or possibly end up reading about it in some magazine that you'll find at the supermarket or newsagent, the people who find fame through these things, they have problems too. You may well be sitting there thinking, but Adam, I don't crave the spotlight. I don't want to be famous, and I don't even watch any of those shows from the long list that you've just given. But many of us may admit to striving for fame in perhaps other ways. You may perceive them as being smaller, therefore deeming them okay. Think about parents who work hard to raise children in a way that others may think, how on earth does he or she do that? They're amazing. Or the colleague at work who goes above and above the job role time and time again, looking for praise, looking for promotion all the time. Or the homeowner who manages to construct the perfect lawn, Wembley stripes, the lot. He or she loves impressing the neighbours. We as humans love to be thought of muchly. Even amongst our own friends and family, we like to be highly thought of. In some degree, we want to be famous. So, this might be why living a faithful Christian life in the world that we live can be so hard at times, a lot of the time. We are called to be countercultural. His renown should be higher than our own. The stage we put Christ on should far outshine ours. That's precisely what Peter is writing about in this passage. Since the first chapter, he's been writing general appeals for holiness before moving on to godliness, which will be the next instalment next week as part of our Exiles series. So from verse 4 right the way through to verse 10, 
Peter explains that through Christ, they have a new identity. He was speaking to those who weren't really highly thought of, those that were without status, those who were made fun of. You might relate to that. Being a Christian in these days of pro-equality can lead us to possibly feeling alienated from this world. But in these passages, as we look at them more in depth, know that you are a privileged people. Not because of anything you've done, but through the glorious work that Christ did on the cross and the fact that you have been chosen. Just like my young people are in the midst of organising a community project, we look here at an incredible restoration project that takes place. I'm going to break it up into a few sections. I hope it's kind of easy to follow my points. Um, just to see how this can challenge our way of thinking. So point one, hopefully, new foundations. The temple was the place where God promised to meet with his people. Repentant Israelites would look to find atonement for their sins by approaching the priests who represented God by bringing sacrifices. But God exiled Israel from their land. So many times they disobeyed him, so he sent them into exile. And because of this, they had no way of accessing the temple. However, it wouldn't be a very good restoration project if it stopped there. One day, as prophesied in Isaiah, one day he would restore his people and rebuild his temple. The temple, sorry. It says in Isaiah 28:16, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. The temple was no longer to be a physical building. Sorry, the temple was no longer to be a physical building of bricks and mortar, or whatever they used to build the original temple. How so? Let's go back and read uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 6. So it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. As you come to him, the temple is now personal. Jesus is the way to the Father. When he walked on the earth, wherever he was, wherever he was, where God met with his people. Sorry, wherever he was, was where God met with his people. Crowds flocked wherever he was, searching for healing, for meaning. Until his second coming, we know that this is still true today, that Jesus is the only way to the Father, to come to him. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is living. The Jews had plans to make a temple that did not include Jesus. When it came to his eventual crucifixion, rather than accuse him of blasphemy, which wouldn't have really affected Pilate, uh, the Jewish authorities accused Jesus 
of claiming to be the king of the Jews, a challenge to Caesar. And as far as Rome was concerned, that was a capital offence. He is rejected so often today, rejected in conversations, rejected uh, by people not believing he is the only way to the Father, rejected Christians being silenced and not able to stand up for what they believe. But God chose Jesus to be an instrument for his glory. We'll give him all the honour, as it says in a worship song we sung a few years back. He is precious, so precious. One definition for this word, precious, says something of high cost or worth. He is so, so worthy. We're alive in Christ. Verse 5 says, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Every Christian is part of this building project. The former temple is now the church. The renovation is ongoing. We're called to be a holy people. The fact that it says priesthood it kind of means we have access to the Father. We're not just called stones. The fact that we're called living stones means we can continue to be a part of building his church. God is always with us. He dwells in us through his spirit. So come, Fabishing Community Church. Come, worship in spirit and in truth. God is with us. He is in us. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's interesting, isn't it, that as we live in these days where Christ's name is rejected and the ways of the church are sometimes questioned, that we may feel shame. A cornerstone is the first stone to be laid. It's the foundation stone. The living stones, us, have Christ as their, our foundation. There are so many scriptures to start with, whoever believes in me. They are the basis for what I believe is a wonderful foundation to live from. So here's a few. Uh, You might want to quickly take a note of these. Uh, So there's John 6, verse 35. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And on that note, I'm going to take a quick sip of water. Um, John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the cornerstone. He can be no other. He is the cornerstone. He is, as it says in Hebrews 12.2, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Whoever believes in me, whatever worldly people think about Christ, doesn't matter, since they do not know him. Be more and more convinced of the God of the Bible. So my second point, hopefully it's making sense. Uh, Second one is living stone. 
or the cornerstone if you could put. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So Lizzie led that in, led that uh, just now in our beginning of the service. It's a, it's a, not yet. Okay, sorry. Later on. Um, it's a fantastic song, isn't it? Um, as part of the worship team here, uh, we really love it. And I'm sure Pete will nod when I say this. Uh, there's just a richness of the lyrics, you know, straight from this kind of passage of scripture, really. The honour of being a living stone within the body of Christ, as I stand here now, I know that I don't give him the honour that he really deserves. He is so, so good. Knowing the favour of the Lord on me as I've been writing this sermon, God, you are good. How can my hope be built on anything less? For those who don't believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected was meant to be the cornerstone. The builders were wrong in their judgment. God knows what he is doing. Yesterday, today and forever. So Jesus, the founder, the cornerstone of the new temple, the very name Jesus is offensive. So I hope I say his name correctly. Juan Sanchez, uh, who has written the book that we're kind of basing this series on, um, says in, in the particular book, that Jesus came to divide humanity between those who believe and those who disbelieve, and those who are built on him or those who stumble over him. It says a stone of stumbling and a rock offence, and a rock of offence, doesn't it, in this passage. As Sanchez goes on to say, there are two ways. Either Jesus is the cornerstone, the founder and perfecter of our faith, he is worthy, he is holy, or he is a stone for stumbling. Jesus was, is, and continues to be a stumbling block, or offensive even, to so many people. Our behaviour as Christians should never offend. But the truth about Jesus will. So if we preach about and share stories with unbelievers whereby they are never offended by our Jesus, we should really be asking the question, what Jesus do we worship? For those that do not believe, they reject the message that Jesus is the only way. Sin undermines the gospel, the gospel that saves. Alastair McGrath and J.I. Packer say in their commentary on 1 and 2 Peter, that unbelievers stumble over the word because it testifies about Christ, whom they will not work hard to understand but prefer to slight and misrepresent. I've seen many videos, and I'm sure many of you have, uh, if you're a YouTube fan like myself, um, in the past few months and even years, of intelligent people slighting God. I'm sure as I even say that now, you've probably got words, of, uh, you've got names of people uh, buzzing around in your minds. So people like Richard Dawkins, Stephen Fry, for example, who have mentioned during interviews their arguments about the God of the Bible. But do they know him? Yes, they can focus on particular subjects, 
suffering and all those kind of things. But they stumble. They stumble because they are not in relationship with the Father. Stephen Fry calls God a maniac. A maniac. In a particular interview that comes to mind, some of you may have seen it. He says, I wouldn't want to go to heaven on his terms. Having mentioned something about a young girl who had bone cancer. Not only are those kind of comments a stumbling block for them in their perceived understanding of who the cornerstone is, but also it's a stumbling block for all their followers. I'm not sure how many followers Stephen Fry has on Twitter or how many people look up to Stephen Fry as someone that they respect, someone that they gather uh, information from, but it's a stumbling block to them as well. So let's go back to the beginning where I mentioned about fame. These kind of situations often occur because they possibly believe that their renown is higher than that of God's. Their stage is higher than his. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So what I've put here is that humans get it wrong. In brackets, they disobey the word. Of, they disobey the word. However, God got and still gets it right. My third and final point before concluding is that we are to be a holy people. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvellous light. Now, I don't know about you, but it's not a passage of scripture. Sorry, I don't know about you. Um, But that's a passage of scripture that really makes me want to worship. We're going to have that opportunity shortly. We are chosen. You and I are chosen. Actively involved in the building up of his church. We have access to the Father. The one who is the cornerstone, the foundation of the church. Through the knowledge of all that we proclaim, we make public, we make known. The excellencies of him who has called us out from darkness, the miry pit, the sin that so easily entangles. He has taken us out of that and into his marvellous light. We are a royal priesthood. So Peter spends a lot of time uh, talking about the necessity of the Christian's holy conduct throughout these passages. What a great honour to be called a royal priesthood. Have you ever thought of yourselves as that before? A royal priesthood. You and I are a royal priesthood. This isn't something to put, uh, put on you, um, you know, to kind of put you on a stage. I'm royalty. No. But it's a time to be humble. The more you think about this calling, the more humble it should really make you. Out of darkness into marvellous light. Once you didn't have mercy, now you have mercy. To shift from one to the other is massive. I know I'm kind of saying it quite flippantly and moving my body from side to side, but it's massive. Even Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, I don't believe that Paul is saying, woe is me, I'm so small and worthless. 
I think there's this glorious picture of, and as I speak, I'm painting this wonderful picture in my mind of this vast call to holiness. He gets it. This grace was given. This grace was given. God's riches at Christ's expense, as some of you may know uh, grace to be. Freely given. Now, I remember wanting to capture on video uh, Lizzie's reaction to getting her cello for her birthday. For those of you that don't know, uh, I made a secret uh, Facebook group just to try and get as many friends and family as possible uh, to to contribute towards a cello, because cellos aren't cheap. Um, But this story isn't about me, so don't don't kind of hear, hear that. Lizzie's reaction was amazing. I watched the video again this morning. And uh, her jaw dropped. Eyes beamed as she kind of saw how generous so many people had been. I kind of staged it. uh, You know, little envelopes. And then she opened the box and saw this box of money. But it's not even a big birthday, she says. So what, said her younger sister. I think it's safe to say that she's still stunned today. And I'm kind of stunned and goosebumps as I kind of mention it. Um, She's still stunned at the generosity of a gift that was freely given. You know, I'm I'm stunned and overwhelmed by the amount of people that, that, uh, that took part. But for Lizzie, just that... That amount of money to open that box and the reaction... That should be our reaction with grace. Grace is freely given. So the important thing is to know grace has and will be given. So here's the thing. Do we proclaim the excellencies of him who called you? The first thing is, he is excellent. Amen? Amen. Amen. Secondly, he called you. He is excellent. There's a song uh, by a worship leader from the US called Charlie Hall, who once wrote a song called Marvellous Light. And the first line says, Into marvellous light I'm running, out of darkness, out of shame. So you may be with me when you kind of picture that moment, as I kind of read those lyrics, of just that running, that yearning to get into the light, embracing with all that you have the fact that you are now in that marvellous light. I don't know what kind of weeks you've had, but mine has been really tough. Um, Church isn't the only time that we can come before him and worship, but there is something about the local church standing with brothers and sisters in Christ and joining in that race to embrace the Father. He is excellent. Let's use the opportunity shortly to proclaim that. He is excellent. It's not just Lizzie's role as a worship leader. We can proclaim from within the congregation. He is great. You may have stories that you want to share. He is great. It doesn't matter how small you might think it is. He is great. Let's proclaim as a church the excellencies of him. So I love it in verse 10 where it simply says, Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It sounds simple, doesn't it? In Romans, but also in Hosea, earlier on in the Bible, it says, 
9 verse 26, so that's Romans 9 26. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, but now they will be called sons of the living God. Sons of the living God. Okay, moving on to verses 11 and 12. A final warning. In order to be holy, they are going to be, there are going to be challenges in this world. He calls them, in the passage, and, and us, sojourners and exiles. Remember earlier when I mentioned about us feeling alienated? It says in John 15, verse 18 to 19, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Sounds to me that because we're chosen, we're going to face tough times and hardships. The passions of the flesh will wage war with our souls. In Galatians 5, 16 to 23, you might be familiar with this uh, passage. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works, now the works of the flesh, sorry, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity... Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's no denying that abstaining from all those mentioned just a moment ago in the first part of the passage are hard. But if we are a chosen people, a people for his possession, we're part of a growing church. So going back to the 1 and 2 Peter commentary that I mentioned earlier by Alastair McGrath and J.I. Packer. It says the only honourable way for a soul to live is to serve Christ as its Lord and to serve him alone. For he has bought it at such a high price. Keep your conduct honourable. Live good lives among those who don't believe what you believe. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, look back through the message today. I encourage you. So just to finish, so whose fame are you living for? I'll leave you to ponder on that. I'll probably put it in the questions for growth group. But whose fame are you living for? 
The new foundations upon which we stand should bring such freedom to our relationship with him. He has chosen us. We are living stones. He is the cornerstone. Our hope should be on nothing less. No job, no amount of money, no promotion, no thing that you most want in the whole world, Uncharted 4 on PlayStation 4. Um, nothing, nothing should be above the foundation upon which we stand. Nothing should be, yeah. <laughs> Here's the living stone. Lastly, we are called to be a holy people who proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us in this glorious royal priesthood. The call to holiness is hard, granted. But we are part of a church that is alive. Amen? Amen. So let God be glorified in all that we do. Thank you.